The text of the sermon this day is taken from the reading from Romans and Matthew, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, just as a little note, I don't know if you notice it, the wonderful comforting words of that hymn that we just sang. So verse 2, just those words, it says, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and drank of that life-giving streams. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. Such beautiful words. But anyways, so if you happen to have a smart, how many of you have a smartphone on you? iPhone, Android, whatever. Do any of you have, how many of you have a Bible on your, on your phone? If you don't, I encourage you to download one. But I'm actually encouraging you to take it out right now. So if you have it, if not, you can just follow along. But go to Romans chapter 1. So in a few weeks, we'll, we'll actually have Bibles in the pews so you can use the physical Bibles. But I kind of want to get into this practice that we actually look at, your, look at our Bible. So the book of Romans... So if I were to make a list of books of the Bible that every Christian should read at least one time a year, well, obviously it would be ideal if you'd read the entire Bible, but if you just read certain books of the Bible, you'd include the Gospels, one of the Gospels, and then I would add Romans. Romans definitely falls in that list because it's such a wonderful explanation, exposition of what we as Christians believe. And so chapter 1, it begins with Paul's customary greeting. He always said, gives thanks for the people he's writing to. The only exception to that is Galatians, which is a whole other conversation. And actually, if in here you get the wonderful definition of what the gospel is. So in chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in other words, letting you know that it's the gospel is ultimately the message of salvation. And then he starts to get into the law. You can see right there in the heading, God's wrath is on righteousness. And he begins to pour on and talk about the sinful lies and the sinful habits of those who are outside of Judaism. You know, those sinful, wretched Gentiles. Which, by the way, quick question. Do any of you have any Jewish lineage? Okay, since if you do not have your hand raised, that means you are a Gentile. So, more often, more often than not, we're going to have pretty much all Gentiles here. Gentile is a non-Jew, very simply. And so he just totally unravels onto them and tells them about how the Gentiles, those non Jewish people are such horrible sinners. And then you get to chapter 3. And Paul says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one 
No one understands. All, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So if you're thinking, you know, sometimes we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Do we know the problem with that question? How many good people are there? According to Paul, and Paul's quoting the Psalms, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God as the chapter continues. And then you get into chapter five, pull into chapter five, and those wonderful words that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he tells us of how forgiveness, how salvation has been achieved. And then you get into chapter 6. And it tells us how that forgiveness, that life is delivered to you. Specifically in the waters of baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And so it's establishing we are Christians. We're children of God. We have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our sins forgiven. But the problem is addressed in Romans 7 is we don't always act like Christians. We don't act the way we should be. We, as Luther says, used to say it, as we are simul ustis et peccator. Give you a fancy Latin word. It means simultaneously saint and sinner. Our sinful nature is always warring. Our sinful nature is always trying to rear its ugly head. Our sinful nature is always trying to pull us down. As it says here in chapter 7, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Easy to relate to. We know exactly the way we're supposed, what we're supposed to do. We know exactly what we're supposed to say. We know what we shouldn't say, and yet... Those words still come out of your mouth. Those, word, those thoughts still come in, up in our mind. We still do the thing that we know we shouldn't do. Yesterday, or Friday, Friday morning and then Saturday morning, I was up, up in Spencer for a conference. It's called the Christianity and Culture Conference. And the main speaker was Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, the only speaker. And, by the way, he was very, very, very excellent. Um, I'm really trying to, I'm going to probably talk with our ministerial and see if we can't try to get a, some type of speaker series going, too. Because the entire church was full, and, and you'd be surprised, it was not mostly older people. It was mostly people that are, I was in the upper age range. That tells you something. So, but anyways... He talk, he's talking, we're talking quite a bit about the brokenness of man, about our sinful nature. And 
Like one of the things he brought up is, think about this. When somebody ever talks about, when someone is talking about you behind your back, how do you feel? You feel hurt, right? Now, if they're saying nice about you, then yay. But, but I mean, they're talking bad about you. It feels horrible. You feel betrayed. Or somebody just loses it on you. They just lose their temper at you, and they just shout at you and tear you down. It feels horrible. Or somebody told, promised you that they were going to do something for you, or they're going to be somewhere, and they didn't do that, or they weren't there. It feels awful. And yet, how often do we give thoughts to when we are talking about someone behind their back? Does it hurt us as much to say it about someone as it is when they say it about us? Does it hurt us as much to let someone down in our promises as it does when we were let down? See, we are so easily inoculated, kind of made or make ourselves immune to the effect or desensitized to guilt. You look at Genesis chapter 3, when the man and the woman fell into sin. And for one thing, is what's kind of highlighted nicely yesterday was the sin was not actually the eating. The eating was not actually what caused the fall into sin. They had already fallen into sin before they ate. The fall into sin was when they questioned God. And they questioned his goodness. The eating of the fruit was just the manifest, full manifestation of the sin that had entered into the world. And then in a little bit, they realized that they were naked. Why was that such a big deal? Why was it a big deal that they noticed they were naked? Well, the thing is, is yeah, they didn't notice it before. Why didn't they notice it before? Well, it's the same reason why a snake doesn't notice that it doesn't have clothing. There's no snake going, oh boy, I really need to get a pair of pants on. There's no, there's no fish swimming around the water saying, you know, it's January, it's getting a little chilly out, I should probably put on a stocking cap. No, a fish or a snake, they're just the way they are. I didn't use any fur-based animals because somebody might argue fur is a clothing. But non-fur animals. And so the same thing for hum humans is they just were the way they were. They gave no thought to it. But when they fell into sin, immediately they became ashamed of their body. And who gave them their body? God did. They became ashamed of their creator. And of course, because we are the way we are, we sexualize everything, and it made it all the worse. And the whole rebellion of how God designed us, we right now in our culture live in the embodiment of it, the consequences of it. Last month was an entire month celebrating the rebellion of God as a creator. And we shouted pride. Even favorite sports teams redesigned their logo, including my twins, put on the rainbow, celebrating the rebellion of how God designed you. 
abortion. It was great to cry when Roe v. Wade was overturned. God told the very first commandment that God ever gave to humans was be fruitful and multiply. Abortion is a direct attack on what God commanded us to do and what he created us to do. That is how far depraved we have come. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, it continues, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And it makes that even worse. Do you know what we a lot of times do when we know we shouldn't do a certain thing? We'll say, you know what? It's okay, God's going to forgive me anyways. Do you realize the mockery we make of God's salvation when we do that? I mean, just put it this way. Think of it this way. Imagine somebody is walking around in your neighborhood and says, you know, that house, I'm just looking at the windows on it, that would be really fun to break it and set a, you know, start a fire on it. And they start going and smashing your windows and setting fires along the building. Somebody's like saying, oh, you shouldn't do that. And they're like, that's okay. They're going to rebuild anyways. Let's just keep going. That's exactly what we are do That's what, pretty much what we're doing when we say, well, God's just going to forgive me anyways. I mean, yes, but do you know the cost of that forgiveness? It was the blood of Jesus. And we have cheapened his death. When we say, well, he's going to forgive me anyways. In fact, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called that, he called that cheap grace. Not that grace is cheap, but we cheapen it. So I find it to be a law that I, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Such appropriate words. When we look at the sinful nature that's still warring in with us, but he gives you the answer. As I said at the beginning of the service, Pay attention to that epistle and the gospel, because the gospel is the answer. I mean, the gospel lesson is the answer to this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so in the gospel lesson, Jesus says it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The burden he is speaking of is the burden of sin. The sin that weighs us down and sin's consequences. It is because of sin that we live in a world of sickness. It's because of sin we live in a world of devastation. It's because of sin that we live in a world of death. Weary that our souls are. 
wretched man that I am, we see the sinful effects. We are immersed in it. Come unto me, he tells you, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we had, when we had vacation Bible school, and I do this just about every year, I remind the kids how to make the sign, teach them how to make the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It's a way to remind you that you indeed are a baptized child of God, to remind you that he has washed you. And that your baptism is not something that happened once, but it's an ongoing truth. So as we are burdened by the weight of our sin, he says, return to your baptism. Remember it. Remember that he has washed you. Find strength in your identity as a child of God. So every morning when you wake up, every night when you go to sleep, before you eat dinner, we do it at the beginning of the service. Make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are a child of God. Relish in that rest. He encourages you. I saw a video and somebody, it was a video all about how can I hear God's voice? I'm just going to make it easy. You want to know how to meet, hear God's voice? Here. Right here. Just open up your Bible. You're not going to hear God's voice in your head. If you hear it in your head, it's not God's voice. It's either your voice, or worse, it could be the devil trying to convince you that he is God. God, even in all the scriptures, you don't find any case of a voice of God in their head. The voice is always external. That's why they're always like, did you say something? Because they're hearing it with their ears, not with their head. God tells you this is where you find him. You want to hear his voice, it's in the word. That's where you find rest, in his word. You find rest in prayer. Come to him in prayer and say, Lord, I'm weighed down, help me. And you, his dear children, he listens. And you who are weighed down, he tells you to come to this place. Do you notice how our service begins? We you come to the service and the very, pretty much the first thing you do is you say, I am a poor, miserable sinner. You come and confess that which weighs you down. And right away the answer is, and the stand and the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to forgive you all your sins. Your sin is washed. He has taken the burden. Because he knows that the sinful nature is still warring against you. And that's why you come here. And yes, come here to this physical place. Online services is not a replacement. I've heard it too much that that's the way that too many people are getting church only. It's not the same. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. You need each other. God blesses you with each other. Doing, making your entire worship on the internet, and I realize there's people watching and I'm talking to them. If that's your only way, it's basically like doing Thanksgiving by YouTube. In other words, you just watch your family eat the meal. They don't get to see you. They don't get to talk to you. You're just watching them. 
and they're eating the meal, and you're just watching. Does that sound like a great Thanksgiving to you? Is that the Thanksgiving you want? But that's what we've done to worship. God comes here, and you need each other. Come unto me, all who are weary. You gain strength from one another, and the others gain strength from you. You need each other. And then you come to this feast, to this meal, the very body and blood of Jesus, and the bread and wine delivered unto you, and by it your sins are forgiven. Your faith is strengthened, because the devil is firing so many arrows at you, trying to devour you, trying to destroy you. So he gives you this to strengthen you. He gives you literally himself. God himself, you taste of him. And you gain, receive his strength. What a wonderful gift. He tells to you who are weary, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.